I thought I had a different problem the whole week. And so I thought there was inflammation in my foot and all these kinds of things. And I was drinking medicine and it didn't help, it didn't help. And so when I went to the doctor on Thursday, they took a scan and they realized that a piece of my heel has actually broken off of my foot. And so it's been a painful week for me. A painful week that made me realize that even the pain that I endure does not compare to the pain that Jesus endured on my behalf. And so we have the privilege now to hear from our Savior as we open up God's Word one more time together. And so thank you for those who have been praying for me, and I would ask that you would please keep praying for the, this recovery process. All right, we are in the book of Galatians. So turn with me again, probably for the second last time, to the book of Galatians. I think next Sunday will be our last message in the book of Galatians, Lord willing. And we are really getting now to the end of the letter. And we're going to uh, read from chapter 6, starting in verse 11. So Galatians chapter 6, from verse 11. All right, well, let's read this together. Galatians chapter 6. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Now, think of the word boasting for a moment. If I say the word boasting, what comes to your mind? I think that for many of us, when we hear the word boasting, we immediately think this is something that is wrong. This is something we are told we are not to do, right? There's this negative connotation when we think of boasting. For example, even in the Bible, the prophet Jeremiah all the way back in the Old Testament, said on behalf of God, Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. So clearly, God says to his people here, there's a kind of boasting that is a problem. Because essentially, Boasting is how we verbalize our confidence. 
Boasting is how we verbalize our confidence. Boasting is when we make it obvious what we are finding our confidence in. And when you stop and think about it, we are people who boast all the time. When we find stuff from this world and we think that's going to provide us with all the happiness we desire and we talk about it as if it's the best thing ever. I mean, for example, we, we boast about cars and how reliable and powerful they are and the good mileage they give us. Or we maybe even boast about a pair of shoes we love. And we think they're simply the best shoes in the world. I mean, this week, because of my foot, my wife bought me a pair of these Crocs sandals. And I honestly can't believe that I've been walking around without them for so long. It's the most comfortable shoes I've ever had in my life. And we boast about other people and their achievements. We boast about ourselves. And the reality is we have been hardwired by God to boast. Because when you boast, you're actually making the hope that you have inside of you hearable. Boasting in a biblical sense is the hope that you have in your heart that you express so that others can hear it. Or as God went on to say further through the prophet Jeremiah in the next verse, verse 24 of chapter 9, But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, which means there's actually a good kind of boasting. And in one sense, you can say that as we get to the end of Galatians, Paul is summarizing the main issues of the letter once again. And he wants the end of the letter to be this main thought that he leaves us with, this main truth. When it comes to the gospel of grace and where we actually find our true confidence. And it seems that in Galatians 6.14 we find the thrust of this final thought that he wants to leave with us. Because he says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Because the difference between worldly boasting and godly boasting or biblical boasting is, of course, what we are boasting in. And for Paul, the hope and confidence he had in this life was in one thing and one thing only, which is the cross of Jesus. And so, in a sense, you could say the book of Galatians can be summarized by saying it's about the freedom we have because of the cross, therefore boast only in the cross. Now if you think about Paul's context, and to some extent boasting in a cross would have been very strange for people. Because if we strip away all the sentimentality that surrounds the picture of the cross, then we know it's actually this intense weapon of torture. I mean, if we somehow had people from the New Testament times jump in this traveling machine 
and be with us today, they would be very surprised to see many people walking around with the symbol of a cross around their neck. Because even as one man suggests, it would be the same as wearing the symbol of an electric chair around your neck. Which would be like saying, I think electric chairs are great. But now Paul basically says that the Christian life is about boasting and constantly verbalizing your confidence in this symbol of death and public execution. Because for Paul, it's finding your true confidence in what Christ has done for you moment by moment as you live your Christian life. Because we know the problem. We know that the problem in the Galatian church is that people were minimizing the cross. Because if you're simply someone that's religious, it's going to cause you to minimize the cross and boast in something else, which in this context was the issue of circumcision and how well you kept the law. And so as Paul is closing out the letter, to correct the church's understanding about the true gospel versus this false gospel about living in the spirit and living in the flesh, sowing in the spirit versus sowing in the flesh like we saw last time, he now one more time brings us back to the fundamental importance of the cross. Because at the heart of the true gospel is the symbol of hope. And there is a difference between living a cross-centered life where you magnify what Christ has done for you versus simply living a religious life where you minimize the cross and magnify what you have done. And so I want to look at these final verses in two parts. Today we're going to consider what a religious life looks like that minimizes the cross. What a religious life looks like where the cross of Jesus is not at the center. A life that does not boast in the cross. And then next week, I hope you come back because then we'll look at what a cross-centered life looks like. Someone that continually boasts on the cross of Jesus and how it's evident that Jesus and what He did for you is everything to you. But let's pick it up in verse 11. Paul is ending his letter to the Galatians in a very important way. And he says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. See, Paul is basically ending the letter in the same way he started it. Because in the first two chapters, you will remember, he was pointing out the credibility and authority he had as an apostle of Jesus to write what he is busy writing. Because the message of the cross he was proclaiming was not a message that he got by himself or any other man. It was a message he got directly from who? From Jesus. Which meant it was a message of authority. And to make sure they know that everything he is saying is credible, he indicates here at the end of this letter that he is writing this with his own handwriting. Now often, as the New Testament letters were written, and the authors would use an assistant to write down what they were saying. 
he would dictate and the other person would write down. It could be that Paul did this with Galatians where now he's like he grabs the pen himself and wants to write these final words in his own handwriting. But I think there's actually good evidence to suggest that he actually wrote the whole letter himself. But to make sure the churches know that this letter comes from him personally, he wants them to notice the size of his font and the fact that this is his own handwriting. And this was important. Because one of the problems with false gospels and false teachers were that people were stealing your identity. And they were pretending to be you and they circulated their false teaching under another person's name. And so, in many of Paul's other letters, he ends with some sort of personal affirmation and greetings. But here again, Galatians is a bit different. Here in Galatians, you still get the sense of urgency and how Paul was writing. And so he ends with big, bold letters in his own handwriting so that it can be very, very clear He's the one writing this letter, and what he's about to say is very, very important. And he's like, don't miss this. After all I've said, I don't want you to miss this. Because now again, he comes back to the issue of circumcision and the problem of religion. And he wants the church to focus in on the cross. And so now in verses 12 and 13, what we find are three evidences of a life that minimizes the cross of Jesus. Three evidences of a life that does not boast in the cross. Paul is condemning the false teachers and anyone who would pervert the true gospel of Jesus with legalism and self-effort. And to do that, he points out three evidences of a life where you are religious... And then you minimize the cross. And the first evidence of a religious life that doesn't boast in the cross is self-effort. Self-effort. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Paul wants to really convince the church that the true Christian gospel, real Christianity is about how God changes you at a heart level, not about what you do on the outside. True Christianity is not about putting on a show. And the whole letter has been pointing out and helping us see that relying on any kind of self-effort minimizes the power of the cross. You remember back in chapter 5, verse 11, Paul said, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. In other words, we know the cross is offensive to people. But why? Why is the cross so offensive to people? Because the cross tells us that we are too weak and too sinful to make any kind of contribution to our salvation. It tells us that we need someone else to save us. 
like how Tim Keller points out, that the cross is insulting to the whole spectrum of people, to the liberal person and to the conservative. Because the liberal person, to, to him it says, the only way to be saved is through a cross. And to the conservative person it says that without the cross, good people are just as bad as other people. And that is because the cross stands against any form of self-effort and self-salvation. Because the danger about a life that doesn't boast in the cross is a life that is going to boast in yourself, depending on yourself. And so Paul says here, religious people who minimize the cross are those who want to make a good showing of the flesh. And the flesh in this context refers to your own works and your own self-effort. It's about impressing people with your outward legalism. And we know that Jesus gave repeated warnings about practicing your religion in such a way as to make a show out of it in front of others, right? Matthew 6 verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. In other words, be careful that your life of so-called faith is not just a show. And then he gives some examples because in verse 2 he talks about giving. And he's like, don't blow the trumpet and draw all this attention to yourself just because you gave some money to the church. Well, verse 5, he's talking about prayer. Don't make prayer a show where you stand on the street corners and entertain people through the way you pray. Verse 16, he's doing the same, talking about fasting. And so you see, it is the religiously proud person who wants to make a show out of their own religious efforts because when you do that, you're boasting in yourself instead of the cross. As one commentator says, liturgies, rituals, and other prescribed religious acts and observances not only have no value in opposing the flesh, but are most often produced by the flesh in order to please the flesh. In other words, all these religious activities that people do can make you feel good about yourself, because you're doing Christian type stuff, and instead of having this deep down dependence on God, you're trusting in yourself. Because no religious act of any kind can add to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But the religious people in Galatia, they were going around forcing other people to make it about your own self-effort and therefore minimizing the cross. They were forcing people, Paul says, to get circumcised. They were manipulators who would force or compel other people in the church to make a life about your own religious works. Because religious people like it when other people become like them. In fact, this is the third time Paul uses this idea of compelling, com compelling others in the letter. Back in Galatians 2, verses 3 to 4, it was the false brothers who attempted to compel Titus to be circumcised. 
Do you remember that? And Paul gave them this great pushback in order to preserve the truth of the gospel. And then you remember Peter. He was also behaving like these false brothers when he was requiring the Gentiles to observe the food laws, Galatians 2.11. You remember that? And as a result, he was basically compelling them to become like Jews. And now Paul says these false influences in the church, they minimize the cross because they want to advertise the circumcision of the Galatians to make a good showing in the flesh. They long for the praise of other people. In other words, a life that minimizes the cross is going to make it all about you and what you do. And you want people to pat you on the back for it. And these guys in Galatia were like the scribes and Pharisees that Jesus pronounced these woes to in Matthew 23. Jesus said, For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Because when Christianity becomes a show, where you must perform to please God and other people, where you are forced or forcing other people to join the performance, then the cross is no longer central and it's no longer Christianity. It's all self-effort and pride. Which is opposed and opposite to the true gospel that Paul was defending so passionately here in Galatians. And so as you consider your life once again, let me ask you, are you putting up a show for others? Are you perhaps minimizing the cross and maximizing your own efforts by relying on all the Christian type stuff you do so that you can ultimately boast in yourself? Because when you minimize the cross, not only is it self-effort and pride that drives your life, Paul says you also become a coward. Because when you live a religious life without the cross, then it's all about self-preservation. First self-effort, now self-preservation. The rest of verse 12, he writes, And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Why are these religious people in Galatia wanting to make a good show of the flesh And force others to get circumcised. Well Paul says. Because they don't want to suffer for the cross. They're cowards. Who don't want to be persecuted. For following Jesus. You see the concern for the Judaizers. Were only for themselves. Because they thought. If we had this outward display. Of how much we kept the law of Moses. Then it would minimize offending other Jews. Because if a Jew became a Christian, it had this significant impact on his relationships and even his financial situation. 
because this person would be kicked out of the synagogues and some even out of their homes. Other Jews would stop doing business with you and even if you had money, people didn't want to sell their stuff to, to, to you. And so already there was this cost to becoming a Christian. And to avoid any kind of persecution, it was easier to make a big deal about the fact that people were circumcised because then you can be a Christian and you can keep the Jewish people happy around you as well and avoid persecution. But when you're preaching a cross-center life and you boast about the cross, then you invite persecution into your life. In the book of Acts, Peter and the other apostles, they are proclaiming the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And look at the result, Acts 5.29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him at the right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witness to these things, and so it is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to these who obey Him. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. If you're going to talk about the cross, people are going to come after you. And religious people who minimize the cross start messing with the message, right? Because they don't want to suffer for it. They don't want anyone to be upset around them. Because here's the thing, it's easier to identify yourself with the church and being religious than truly identifying yourself with the cross. Same problem still today. Easier to identify with Christian type things than really identifying with the realities of the cross. A cross that tells you, you can't save yourself, no matter how hard you try. In fact, in Philippians 3.18, Paul says that the enemy of the cross are those people, he writes, who, whose end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Which means no matter... Church, how religious you are, or even how irreligious you are, about how devout you are in attending church, or even never going to church. Anyone who denies or rejects the sufficiency of the sacrifice that Christ has made for the forgiveness of sins and our salvation is an enemy of the cross. Because if you're going to boast in the cross, you invite persecution into your life. Maybe from friends, co-workers, family. And for some people, they don't want that, so it's easier to just walk away from it. For Jesus was crucified. The whole idea of Him being crucified was offensive and unacceptable to the Jewish people. These people had superficial interest in Jesus, but when it came to the cross, 
they started to lose interest quickly. So Jesus is in Capernaum in, in one of the synagogues, and he says in John 6.55, From my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 16, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? He's explaining his need to die for their sins. And now this relates to them being truly saved and obtaining eternal life. But then in John 6, 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Because if you're not boasting in the cross, then it's easy to just want to walk away when life gets hard. Away from being persecuted for your faith. Away from the rejection of friends and family. Away from having to deny yourself. Because a religious life that does not boast in the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice on your behalf is going to be a life that maybe wants to be associated with Christianity, but not ultimately with the realities of the cross. Because when you minimize the cross, religion is all about self-effort and self-preservation. And now thirdly, self-deception. Self-deception, verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Like what's going on here? What hypocrites? The problem with these religious people in Galatia, they were hypocrites. They were self-deceived and they wanted to deceive others. Because they got circumcised themselves and made this big deal about the law. Yet Paul says they themselves don't even keep the law. Because over and over again, Paul has explained that the law was never meant to save us. The only way the law can save anyone is if you keep every single one perfectly. Which we know is impossible. And obviously these Jewish false teachers who made such a big deal about circumcision and the law, they know they weren't able to keep it. So they become these hypocrites. Kind of something similar Paul said to the church in Rome, Romans 2 verse 17. Because he writes, he says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and know His will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? 
while you preach against stealing, do you steal? Do you say that one must commit a, not commit adultery? Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the Lord dishonor God by breaking the law. In other words, there are some obvious ways you can keep the law, but there are also some very obvious ways in how you don't. Because as soon as you minimize the cross, you deceive yourself and you become a hypocrite, pretending to have it all together when you know, in fact, you don't. And here's the irony. These false teachers who don't keep the law themselves, they wanted the Gentiles and others in the church to get circumcised so they can boast in their flesh. These guys didn't keep the law themselves, but they wanted to win more people over to come under the law and minimize the cross because they could brag about how many followers they had. And honestly, isn't that the very same thing we see in so many so-called religious movements and churches today? People want to sweep you in under the cultish movements because of winning you over to a life of doing, doing, doing all these religious things. But yet they don't practice what they preach. They put this burden on people's shoulders to tell them how hard they must work to earn God's favor. Yet they don't do any of it themselves. What's striking to me is, I mean, we have people moving amongst us. I know a person like this who claims to be Jesus himself. And what happens with this movement is people are giving up their money and they, they're giving it to the church and the church controls their lives and how they function and control their money. Yet at the same time, this guy's got money coming out of his ears. At the same time, he denies the deity of Jesus. And he minimizes the power of the cross. Yet people are deceived and they follow. Back in Matthew 23 again, Jesus said of these kinds of people, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat and do, and so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Religious, false teachers and people want to make you do all the heavy lifting, which ultimately makes you feel hopeless. They put you under the demands of all these rules and traditions as they look to deceive you and themselves because instead of boasting in Jesus and the sacrifice He made for you, this once-for-all sacrifice for all your sins, it's about you boasting in your flesh. And honestly, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. The Bible is warning us that this stuff is going to happen. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. But understand this, 
that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. People walking in the street, Jehovah's Witnesses, the appearance of godliness, only wanting to include you in their religious efforts day by day so that you can be right with God. What are you to do when you encounter these kinds of people? End of verse 5. Avoid such people. Avoid such people. Avoid people who appear to be godly, but then they deny the power of the cross, which is our only true source of godliness. Because the cross shows us the full and final sacrifice that saves us from sin and death. The cross shows us, as one man says, how God takes the most fearful and brutal expression of hatred and turns it into the most beautiful expression of love. What was a stumbling block to the Jews becomes the very foundation of our faith. Because if you take the cross away, what are we left with? We're just left with our own efforts. You're running away from its implications and you end up living a life of pretending. A life where you can be led astray and thinking that you must do more and give more and pray more and serve more in order to be confident that you are actually a Christian. Paul says that is not the gospel. Because what we see here again today is that religion is empty and tiring. Religion minimizes the cross and thus makes you an enemy of the cross. And so here's what I want you to think about this next week. How does the cross fit into your life? How does the cross really fit into your life? What are you boasting in? What would people hear if they are around you? What are you boasting in? Next week we're going to sit at what a cross-centered life looks like. A life that is this firm commitment to boast in the cross of Jesus alone. But if you don't, as we are reminded again today, then it becomes evident that you will make it all about yourself. Self-effort. Self-preservation and self-deception. Or as Spurgeon would say, What is your life, my brethren, but the cross? Whence comes the bread of your soul but the cross? What is your joy but the cross? What is your delight? What is your heaven but the blessed one once crucified for you? Because you know what? 
At the cross, we do not have to pretend. We don't have to put up a show. God says we can come as we are. And we can find forgiveness. And we can find something to boast truly in. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the cross. In some regards, it's impossible to imagine what life would be without the cross. But yet, Lord, we see how easily we can be deceived in thinking that we can rely on our own religious efforts once again. Once we go through tough weeks and tough times, if we have an honest assessment of our own hearts and our own lives, we can feel the conviction and see that, Lord, we, re we are relying on ourselves. How often we change conversations and change our behavior because we want to avoid persecution in our lives. How we pretend we're one person in front of a certain group of people and yet we're someone else with another. So Father, help us to keep the cross central to our lives. Help us to see, even as we think and prepare for next week, Lord, the importance of living a cross-centered life, like Paul boasting and declaring and making the hope that is in our hearts hearable to the world around us, and not just on Sundays, every day of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.